everybody. Welcome to EduMatch. Thank you so much for joining us. So tune in with us as you're obviously doing if you heard me say that. Also, uh, if you ever need the link, it stays the same podcast with an s.edumatch.org forward slash tweet talk. In addition, you can follow along with us on Twitter where the questions have already started dropping. So you can interact um, with the questions as well. And tonight we are talking about restorative justice. So super excited for this conversation. Uh, Victor is moderating it tonight and we also have two amazing panelists. So we're gonna kick things off with some introductions. So let's start first with Jennifer. All right. Hello, my name is Jennifer Bond and I'm a third grade teacher in Wald Lake, Michigan. And I'm just super excited to be part of my first EduMatch tweet and talk tonight. So thank you so much for having me on. We are super excited to have you. Long time EduMatcher, first time tweet and talker. So great to have you here. All right. And Rhonda. So I am a fourth grade teacher in Central Florida, Polk County. And uh, so just glad to be here learning along with you. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining us, Rhonda. We are super excited to have you here. So welcome. And last but not least, we have our awesome moderator, Victor. So, Victor, go ahead and introduce yourself, and then you can take it away. What is up, Edgy Matchers? What is up, Edgy Matchers? It's been a long time. I shouldn't have let you. Without a tweet and talk to learn from. Yeah, 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 yeah. Sorry I messed that up. For those hip-hop heads that goes back that's some old. That's some old school stuff right there. If you, if you haven't caught up with it, it's okay. It's okay. You have the next fifteen or twenty minutes to catch back up with what I was talking about. All right. So uh, I believe that we're discussing what is it? Was restorative justice today? Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. So uh, I'm Victor. I am an administrator from Oakland, California. Uh, we are big on restorative justice out here. Um, a lot bigger than some places could be. So let's uh, let's jump right into the conversation. But those of you who don't know very much about it, the first question uh, allows us to explain a little bit. So uh, panelists, uh, what does restorative justice mean to you? So for me, it's <laughs> it's an alternative to exclusionary punitive practices, especially when it comes to discipline. But it's more about building relationships and being inclusionary and trying to understand where the students are coming from and even their families. And it actually works with staff, too. I do think that restorative justice practices um, really are, like Rhonda said, about building those relationships. It's about building that classroom community within um, all of your students to build empathy within your students. Um, to get to know all of your students so that when they are having a not so good day, there's things that you can do to kind of tweak it to make them more successful. And it's especially important because with restorative justice, children get to know the impact that their behavior and their actions have on other people. And they're able to try to amend those behaviors sometimes by going through the restorative justice. First of all, first of all, can I say I love both your answers? I love both your answers. Not that I'm like as a moderator, not not a not try not to misspeak. Um, not as though I, the moderator, am here to evaluate your answers. I just wanted to say I liked your answers. Um, I wanted to throw out there to those of you who you know are listening to this or watching this, 
and you are not necessarily a classroom teacher, you are an administrator, or maybe you're a staff somewhere in the building, it, it does carry a system with it, right? It, it, it is systematic. It is, it is, there is a component of, 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 of system with it. So it's not just in the classroom. It's, it also has to do with that mindset of looking at, um, as uh, Rhonda said earlier, looking at trying to include people a little bit more. But uh, to get more on that, we could go back to Ron in a second with the next question. Did y'all like how I did that? Did y'all like how I did that? All right, the next question, the next question we're trying to ask, um, how is this, this restorative justice different than zero tolerance? Um, what, what, what's, what makes it different to you, uh, Rhonda? So for me, it's more a matter of not necessarily pushing a student, a child away when their behavior is something that I don't understand as their teacher or that a staff member or even a parent doesn't understand. It's more about trying to understand how they developed that belief system that they have, especially if they say something that the other students find unusual and even offensive at times. It's more about communicating with them and trying to help them. Uh, it's even for me, it's about my own biases and all. So I do try to get to know them through, through the circles that we do and the questions that we ask, but I don't want to necessarily send them away as much as pull them closer and try to figure things out together. And I would say that the zero tolerance policies are very cut and dry, very black and white, and there's not a lot of gray area. And with restorative justice, you really do get to speak out, you know, why a child is behaving a certain way. And often there are times you're like, oh, that makes sense. Oh, you didn't go to bed till three in the morning. I can imagine you might be a little grumpy today and your behaviors are this way. And so I think you kind of seek out and have children understand maybe why they've behaved a certain way and seek to understand them so that the consequences necessarily aren't so cut and dry like, you know, a lot of behavior problem or behavior systems are. The way you two explained it, it almost seems as if it's, it's more empathetic and like we're being humans and allowing for complexity of children it's almost as if it's almost as if it's uh not a one size fits all thing equity rather that? than equal yes equity rather than equal Rhonda. that's why we i mean we're not best friends but you you know in kendrick spirits definitely <laughs> definitely definitely in that regard well okay so if you're listening to this and you're thinking to yourself okay all that sounds fine and good but like how do i get started how do i how do i how do i bring some of this greatness into my classroom <sighs> rhonda can you help them out how, wh how how let's think let's think first day first day let's say that tomorrow's your first day what a, what should we be trying to do well, I think back to when I started and I started, I started by reaching out to Justin and you and then joining uh, the Voxer group, the Restorative Justice League Voxer group and participating in the Twitter chats and started reading books, a lot of good books, short reads, good books, and then forming up circles with some guidelines for the students to follow and iterating it day after day after day. Mm, that's heavy. Jennifer? 
Um, when I first got started, we started out as a book club, just um, using the book Better Than Carrots and Sticks. So that was my first introduction to it and just wrapping my head around what restorative justice practices were. So that's a great book to get started. And then just really thinking about, I mean, it's probably going to be hard to do, you know, coming in May when you're ending the school year, but for the next beginning school year, thinking about your behavior system, often there are punitive systems that we have developed in the clip charts or the responsibility coupons or the flipping cards. Um, as being an elementary teacher, most of our systems are punitive. So I made it a point to say, nope, I'm going to try it. I just want to just give it a go. And there's certainly times that I feel like, oh, man, I need to go back to it, but I'm sticking with it. And um, the thing that I have found with it is that you have to give your children that time. You have to pull them aside, you know, in a corner of the classroom. You have to give your students that opportunity to talk and explain themselves. Um, you have to pause your curriculum at times to have community circles to talk about issues in the classroom. You have to, you just have to give it the time. So if you're willing to make it work, time is going to be one of the things that you really need to cut out to get it started. Because it's not just something you can check the box and say, yep, I did it. It's that, it's that thing mm -hmm. that needs to be massaged and tweaked and turned um, throughout the whole year. And so I guess patience is also what you'll need to get started and a lot of love and empathy for these students. I think I feel you both on your answers. I mean, mine, my, my walk was a, you know, through this was a little different. I think uh, I had already had some training, mm -hmm. you know, because I'd found out what our, our school was talking about. Do circles, do circles, do circles. And I was like, what, what, what are we doing? What, what, what's this? And so I, I, you know, I found out a little bit more about what was going on before, you know, because it's, it's hard to just jump into something, you know, I think it's, I, I think that's, that's what I got out of a lot of what, what you guys were talking about. It's hard to just jump into something without having some sort of idea of what's going on. You know, I, I think, uh, I think I'd read a book. I think I'd gotten some training and I just jumped, you know, uh, went to the store, got some stuff, brought some stuff from home, you know, tried to make this thing work um, as it fit within the classroom. It's, it's, it's hard to try anything dry, right? Yeah. My um, um, principal, my principal, they were trained and she has found the very simplest things that when she's dealing with students in like situations that she has to pull a group of kids, she just says, you know, what happened? How did it happen? Um, what were you thinking at the time that it happened? And she has found that what were you thinking at the time it happened as such a good question. And then, you know, what can we do to make it right? Like just her like verbiage for each of the situations she's just stayed consistent with. And she said, it's been so much more empowering um, on the student's behalf just by sticking with those questions in any situation she has to deal with. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. I love it. Okay. Can I, I add it. something? Yeah. Go so ahead. Jennifer, add something, please. <laughs> Jennifer was talking about, I want to add on to what you said, Jennifer. You were talking about the time investment. And I found that the investment on the front end and doing circles with the students, it pays off huge dividends in the long run, huge dividends that just they're immeasurable and the students will come up and they'll say, can I hold a mini circle? Can I do a conflict resolution with a peer? Because they're learning these skills and 
it goes a long ways towards teaching them emotional self-regulation. So it's it's very helpful. You know, Rhonda, thank you for adding in that that part about the, the emotional self-regulation and, and teaching them these things, because, you know, I'd imagine that you need other human beings around to help you learn how to be able to emotional emotionally adapt and emotionally understand what's going on with other human beings. Um, but I, I guess if I guess if we're unable to identify our own personal biases with this, this that that could make this kind of a difficult thing to to do in a classroom, wouldn't it? Yeah, at times there there are statements made by students that awe oh, the whole class and shock the whole class. And then it takes a couple of weeks of circles to figure this whole thing out. But we start by trying to understand how that student developed that belief system that they had that caused that statement to be made. And then they start to learn about themselves. They become more self-aware. Jennifer, did you, you ever have any, any sort of... Um connection to that, um, whether it's, it's, it's students within your class trying to identify um, their own biases, maybe it's, it's teachers, maybe it's administrators, any, any of that uh, that you've experienced? Not as much. I can't say that I have as much, but um, it will be interesting because this Friday we're actually having a half-day professional development and we're doing a social justice module, particularly on bias. So I haven't, we haven't really had a lot of, you know, talking about it, but I imagine Friday afternoon we will. So it'll be a whole different answer if this would have been next Sunday. But um, I think like the kids, what I've learned from doing this, I have some kids that have some struggles at home and that behavior often trickles into the classroom. And I've heard from parents about the conversations after school because there's some particular students that, you know, children go home and talk about. And and the kids have um, have opened up their eyes to look at the perspective of this child. And not that they know the backgrounds, but they're starting to think about those behaviors probably do come from a, some type of trauma or some kind of hurt. And sometimes the kids are like, you know, we need to be better friends with them, even though it's so hard to be friends with the child that's more challenging. So they're starting to understand that there's different perspectives and not everyone grows up one certain way and that might impact them. In my own experiences, uh, you know, I've had situations where, you know, I've had students say pretty borderline, um, borderline, can I say, it? I'll say, it. I've had students say borderline racist things to me as a black teacher. And it's one of those moments where like you're in the class and you're like, okay, so I realize that you're 14 year old, you're not there yet in life. Um, perhaps as you just said something that you don't understand. Um, and then we can have that conversation um, without um, many of my other students getting angry. Um, but I think that if, I think that when we lose sight of the fact that we are humans, we have a perspective on life that we gathered through some various means of gathering um, that you got to get it from somewhere. You have to get these ideas from somewhere. They come from somewhere. You didn't just, they, didn't, they weren't invented into your mind, right? Like, you know, and it's important, I think, that we deal with that. I mean, um, especially if we're teaching students, right? Um, speaking of which, 
if we're able to identify those those biases and such, uh, is it possible that we're um, what sort of ideas should we we carry about creating personal relationships with our students in this manner? Then it seems like in this in this restorative justice thing we're talking about um, that we're going to have some pretty deep conversations. Um, it, it seems like we should be trying to create personal relationships in order to foster those conversations. Um, can anyone speak to that? Maybe how we go about creating those personal relationships with students so that these types of conversations can happen? One of the things that we do just every Friday is roses and thorns. So the kids talk about things that are good. And then the thorn is something that's not so good. And through those kind of conversations, the kids sometimes get to know about things that are going on in the lives of students or families that, you know, are sometimes personal and things that they need to talk through. And so when they hear those, then sometimes they're able to connect other things and have that more empathy when other things happen. Like if there's a dog that's close to death and then the dog dies, um, they're more caring and compassionate for that child because they've heard all about that dog in the roses and thorns. Like we have one particular little girl every Friday, I think since the beginning of the year has told a dog story. And now the kids are like, dog story, dog story, every time she does the roses and thorns. But then on the flip side, we had to hear about her dog dying and we knew how much you know, that dog meant to her. And then there's been times where children share about um, family members in jail. And I live in a community where that is not the norm. And for some crazy reason, that one particular circle, I think because the first person shared it, then another person did, and then another person did. And then my last boy was like, my rose is that I don't have any family members in jail. And, and then I'm like, oh gosh, that probably hurt the feelings of the people that were really open about the families in jail. And so then we had to have a whole conversation about how sometimes your words even though you, you, yes, you might be glad that you don't have any family members in jail, but you know, they're still feeling sad that they have that. And now, and at third grade, they don't really know, you know, that that might not be a, you know, personal thing to share out or, and so we had to have a whole nother conversation about that. And he was like, I didn't mean to hurt their feelings. And so I think it's just getting kids to understand the feelings and the appropriateness and to have eye contact and to truly be in a listener to build those relationships throughout all of those circle processes. I work with fourth graders and they're not quite metacognitive enough yet to be self-aware. They're developing that. And a student recently said something in class that was a statistic that he had learned from some television that he watches a lot of, but it was, it was a comment that was received by almost all of the class as a racist comment. And he said he didn't mean it that way. However, when, when the others wanted to understand where he was coming from and they, they kept asking questions to try to really understand him, it kind of came down to he wasn't even aware that the television shows he was watching had such an impact on his belief system and developing that idea. And in the end, at the end of two weeks, when we had talked about it a lot, uh, he looked mortified that he sent that message to the rest of the class. And he looked a little bit ashamed that 
he actually said that. So it was a moment for him of self-awareness developing right in front of all of us. And the other students and their understanding of him, they would come in each morning and say, well, I understand that he likes facts because he says this and he says that and he says this. And so they're showing an understanding of him, but they're just trying to understand how that particular comment and belief system was developed. And they did a really good job together of getting to the bottom of it. Not saying everybody's hurt has gone away 100%. We still have some work to do, but we are working on it together. That's amazing. That's amazing. And actually, um, what's so awesome about this chat right now that we're having you, me, her, me, you, all that is that um, while we're having it, there's uh, there are people watching. Hi, people. Uh, <laughs> and they're sending in questions to, uh, to Sarah. And so Sarah just hit me with one of the questions. It's from Peggy. What's up, Peggy? How you doing, Peggy? Tell you peoples that I said, what's up? They can get back to me later. Hi. Uh, Peggy asks, um, is it important to give students that uh, reflection time over how they came across these different biases? Um, and, and I would imagine, Rhonda, that you know the story that you just told us essentially answers the question, and that question is yes. Yes, please, please, please do it. Um, however, I wonder, I wonder, you know, now knowing, uh, now knowing the question being posed and having the experience that you've had, if you'd still answer that question in the same way, how, how, how might you approach um, that, that topic of um, reflecting on where they got the their implicit biases. How might I approach it in here or with my students? Which one? Do you think it's necessary? As an educator with the students to, is that what you're thinking yes. or just, okay. Yes. Uh, I think it's necessary for, for myself to think that as I'm watching television and Netflixing it and <laughs> binging and all, is that affecting my almost unreachable bias that I'm not even aware of. So I know what's going on with the kids because of what happened in the classroom. I know it's important for the kids as well because they they didn't realize the CSI effect. They didn't realize that people see things on TV and they believe it. And it, it really kind of shapes and forms their belief systems and it keeps like the snowball effect. It keeps building on it and building on it and building on it to where they're not even aware that they have that, that bias that it's been created. So I think it's important to confront it myself, but I also saw my students come to that realization uh, over that two week period. And as we continue on the rest of the year, I'm not sure if I answered your question. Oh, I think you did, but, <laughs> and I thank you. And now I wonder, Jennifer, what are your thoughts? Do you have any? Sure. I, um, while I was thinking about that, it reminded me of, I think it was called iKids, Raising Kids in the Digital Generation. And one of the suggestions they had is as you're watching TV shows with your children to say, what do you think their values are? You know, what do you think they value in life? And trying to look at some of the things in our 
social media or some of the YouTube stars and um, some of the you know celebrities mm -hmm. that sometimes aren't the best role models for our kids, but getting them to recognize the positives and sometimes the negatives and and have them compare it with their own values that or at least you're hoping that you're instilling as a parent. So that's one thing of just sometimes as you're watching TV, thinking about, you know, that I know I personally have to have a lot of conversations about some of the YouTube people in my class. And I'm not, I'm, I usually talk as a parent. I'm probably not as, I'm just very direct as far as like, I don't know, with that. But then like, there's other things. And I know in third grade, they're still very, you know, very innocent thinking and they're what they see, what they hear is often from their home. Um, the political scene right now in our country has given some interesting things. And um, I think kids say things that they've heard at home and they don't realize how impactful it is. And I just had on um, Friday, I had to take a child right down to the office just because he did something that was racist and he he did not i don't think it was intentional we had to figure it out but it was something that i'm like oh my gosh if this mom you know finds out about um this she's gonna want to make sure that it was handled in a more more you know complex way i guess with involving the principal and i don't usually send kids to the principal unless it's like severe and so i mean it had to go through conversations it wasn't one of those zero tolerance things um, and then finding out where it came from. And it is, you know, from the media and things like that, that he's read about. And um, it's mostly with the wall in Mexico and things like that. So um, we have students that are Mexican in our classroom. So it was very offensive, but he was like, I'm so sorry, I didn't intend that to be, I did not know that was racist. I'm like, Han, you, you just did something that was racist. And he was like mortified and just him sitting in the office, you could just tell he was going through his head like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, what am I gonna do? So just giving them that time to make them recognize um, the actions of and how their own words can be misconstrued sometimes if they're not careful and they don't have that filter. You know, I, I have a, I have a very interesting, I, I always think I think it, interesting thoughts. So I'm not going to say it's interesting. I'm going to say I have an opinion. This is my opinion. Um, I believe that we got here in this country because we haven't been giving kids a chance to reflect on where they got these ideas from. We haven't been addressing them. We've just assumed that it would happen somewhere at some point like there's the magic like a uh, racist fairy kind of popping up in random times and going yeah no don't do that or yeah no don't 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 say that that's not a good idea and and it just doesn't happen it doesn't happen i i as as crazy as i think it is i i wonder how often we are having these conversations in schools and how often we are letting these opportunities pass without saying anything or letting kids think on it um, because we don't know, we don't know what the, we, we don't always know what's going inside that head of theirs um, and how they're processing it and how they're processing our action toward it and how they're processing our inaction toward it. Um, yeah, but enough um, for that. Oh, okay, go. No, no, not enough of that. Go ahead. Um, uh, 
you know, when that student made the comment that he made, the statement that he made uh, based on what he considered statistics that were factual, that were real, based on the shows that he watched, uh, I knew right away, based on the reactions of almost all of the students in the room, that this was going to be a very challenging conversation. And I knew it wasn't going to take place quickly. It was going to take time to process and come back and then process and then have more discussion and try to figure things out. And that's that's what we do when we do restorative circles. We figure things out together. I cannot assume as their teacher that they know how to have those conversations. In fact, I, I really try to be intentional about understanding that I have to help facilitate that while they're at the school with me during the day. I think that's that's very novel of you to consider whether or not they are able to have these conversations <laughs> before having them. Um, I wonder, do we do we assume too often that they're going to figure it out on their own without trying to be like uh, as, as I guess as an educational system? Do we assume? That they they get that they got it like they're gonna get that from somewhere too often, um, or is it one of those things that you know? Me personally, I I just don't see it, but I wonder if we as an educational system just assume that they're gonna get it. Um, what do you guys think? I don't know if it's the educational system as much as in general as people. Maybe we make these assumptions on a regular basis and we're not even aware of it. And, um, you know, one set of people, educators may believe that it was the parental responsibility and they wish to not participate in that discussion or to send them out of the room to have somebody else handle it. I, I want to keep them. I want to keep them with me and I want to help them learn how to do this. But I think it's in general that there's some assumptions being made. And uh, I will stop instruction, like Jennifer said. I will stop instruction because, and I told my principal that when school started, I said, if you, if you happen to come in and it's supposed to be English language arts time and we're on the floor for 20 minutes in circle, it's, it's because they have a need that's not being met and we're not going to get anywhere academically unless we address this. Uh, you know, Rhonda, what you just said is blasphemous to some people what you stopped instruction what what ah how do you how did you get use your time well, we were supposed to maximize our time we're supposed to we're supposed to make sure we really have so many instructional minutes like how do you oh it's like you know i guess there's this there's this belief sometimes i guess with with us uh and i'll say us i'll say us i'm a part of it um that just the idea of stopping our instructional lesson that day to address something that has a meaningful context into their lives uh, it's as if the floor is going to open up and the fire is going to shoot out and you know like a dragon is going to rip the roof off of the building and start spitting flames into the classroom going ah, you're, you, you're not using your instructional time ah! you know <laughs> You missed your voiceover I, calling. <laughs> perhaps, perhaps, perhaps. Uh, <laughs> but I, I, I feel like that's that's sometimes how we treat our instructional minutes, and it's, 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 it's almost it's almost robotic. It, it, it seems inhuman sometimes to not have humanistic conversations rather than go back to our lesson. I mean, 
Jennifer, what do you think? No, I totally get that because um, my coworkers, they'll see me chit-chatting. And, you know, sometimes I do it right outside my classroom door so you can kind of keep an eye on your class. You have an eye on the child. And and then um, they're like, man, you've been talking to a lot of kids. Every time I walk by, it seems like you're talking to another child. And how do you have time to do that? I don't have time. And I'm like, how do you not have time? How do you not have time to handle this? And and my belief, I've stayed true. I'm like social, emotional intelligence is more, and I and I say it, it's, it's more um, important than academic intelligence. I think half the things that you have to learn later on, you're going to learn it. As long as you know how to learn, you're going to learn. But you have to learn how to be a person. You have to learn how to convey your thoughts. You have to learn how to be confident so you can sell yourself. And you could be the smartest brain out there, but if you can't let other people see what's inside your head, you're not going to be successful. So I believe in social emotional intelligence so much that I'm like, have to use that time so that you can build the whole child and not just that little part of the brain that third grade standards were, you know, covering. So um, I think I hope that, you know, people see it and they see the success through it. I know I have one challenging kid that um, he came in in mid January and he just, he's like, how come you don't send me to the office? And I'm like, because I'm handling the conversations right here. Am I handling your issues? Yeah, but you haven't sent me to the office. I said, because I don't think there has been a need. We've addressed your issues, right? And he's like, yeah. So his whole academic history was go to the office, go to the office, get kicked out. And he's, you know, questioning, why are you doing this? And um, I think we have to do that. We have to show that kids, you deal with your issues, talk through your issues, we'll figure it out. But being sent away is not always gonna solve it. it you know, it's it's funny, there's actual statistical, um, There's there's been studies about, um, you know, what it does to distance kids from our buildings. Right. What it does to exclude them from activities, what it does for to exclude them, you know, through suspension or, you know, all these other things that we've done in the past to, I guess, systematically pass children with problems as passing the buck to a different place. Um, and none of it's good. Like It's never good. You know, it's just, I mean, I'm sure I'm sure people can come up with anecdotal evidence of you know the mm -hmm. time that they expelled this kid from their campus and how they turned out to be really awesome but studies don't really say anything good about that and i i could i could i'm looking at sarah giving me the stank face when we checking our time let me check oh no 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 you're not you're not okay all right just making sure <laughs> just making sure just making sure uh <laughs> um you know there's there, there, there are studies there are studies about this there are studies about you know trying to create a culture within, you know, your your school, but then we do the opposite. We do something to ostracize a student, or we we put them down, or we embarrass them, or we 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 kick them out, or we we say something disparaging without thinking about, hey, you know, I was nine once. <laughs> you know, I don't know how I would have dealt with that. I don't know how I would have, like handled that situation, I don't think I would have liked this school. You know, I wonder how often that we as adults ask that question. Um, but, you know, we're, we're getting, we're getting to 
we're we're on the topic that we could just talk for for hours and days. And if you've been in the Voxer group, you probably already know that we do. Uh, so so let's let's start uh, let's start talking about some you know some resources. If you wanted to do start restorative justice tomorrow, tomorrow, what resources do you need? What resources do you need? What what are the what are the things that you need in your your RJ teacher handbook? Um, we've already talked about uh, carrots and sticks. That was brought up. Uh, the Voxer group, the Twitter chat was brought up. Uh, I'll reset those because they mine. <laughs> I'll reset those. But uh, uh, Rhonda or Jennifer, either one of you. Oh, we got we got we got time. Hey, we got time. Hey. All right. All right. Um, does one of you want to uh, lead off with resources, RJ resources to help you out day one? Do you want to take this, Jennifer? I I don't have much more than the restorative justice book, the carrots and sticks, um, the circles. You do need a talking piece to, and the talking piece is just you know whoever is talking in a circle needs to be holding it. So then everyone, it's kind of like the rule of the circle. But um, the talking piece can be a little stressful. It can be a little stuffed animal. The kids often find things in their desk and ask if that could be their talking piece. So um, anything like that. Um, is essential. And um, I know Rhonda, you have a ton of resources that you've really <laughs> gone into. So you're probably, I've stayed very basic. The Voxer group is my favorite. It's like a little edu family of people that are yes. awesome. So that is essential, but yeah. Um, and so this book right here is one of my favorites, the little book of restorative justice and education. I found it most applicable immediately. And then um, for the big picture, the little book of restorative justice, that helped me with the big picture. And then circle processes as well. Love this one. This one's awesome. And then here is what you already mentioned, better than carrots and sticks. And the one that I'm finishing now is restorative discipline for schools. So they're all quick reads, around 100, 120 pages, and I have lots of notes and highlighting, and I've even had students come up and ask if they can read those uh, during Power Hour, and then they asked if there was a circle book for students their age. <laughs> you know what was so awesome about, like, how Rhonda, how Rhonda just did that is, like, not only did she tell you the resources, she pulled out hers, like, look, Ugh. like it would have been like if you were playing poker like she pulled it out like that hand that you know no one can beat like i know you can't do anything about this let me just step this down they right go here. everywhere with me and they're all like curled up and bent up and i know exactly where what i need is in the book it's for that me is. a lot of introspective moments to figure things out when they get challenging with the students that is perfect um i think Aside from that, because I've read, I've read a couple of those. Um, let's see, Ken Johnson has some books out. Shout out to Ken Johnson. Shout out to Ken Johnson. Go get his books. He's got I do want to get his uh, training scenarios. Yes, I got it. It's amazing. Oh, you have that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't we just sound like nerds just talking about? Yeah, I got that book. You got that book. I want that book too. So my, so my, you know, whenever I go into Amazon, you know, to look for stuff. It, it has that people also bought this stuff. I'm like, I read that. I read that. I read that. 
<laughs> okay, I'll get that now. Uh, there's a peacekeeping. There's there's a book on the peacekeepers. Shout out to the peacekeepers. There's a sh- book on the peacekeepers and what they did um, in their communities using circles. Get that book. That one's good. Uh, I read that. I love that. I loved the uh, restorative justice discipline for schools. It really, as an administrator, it helped me put uh, things into perspective as far as uh, what what we're doing. Uh, the RJ League has a Padlet that we're putting together, that we're continuing to put together. It's got tons of resources. You've got to get involved. You, you have, have to, to name involved. it. You have to name your you Padlet. Ha- it's it's the epic Padlet of restorative justice stuff. I think. I think. Did I say stuff? Was it restorative justice resources? I thought it I was the absolutely that. epic. The absolutely epic. It is absolutely epic. That that padlet will take you a couple days to go through, and it's got so much stuff in there. But you know, uh, Sarah didn't give me the stank face, but she gave me the time limit. So, uh, to all you RJ leaguers listening at home, go ahead and stand up for yourself. Pat, pat yourself on the back. You are a superhero because you are saving children somewhere. With that, I bid you do. For Jennifer, for Rhonda, for Sarah, it's Oakland. What's up? Oh, Victor, that was amazing. And Jennifer and Rhonda, you all brought that fire, that heat. Um, wanted to thank everybody who tweeted along with us as well as uh, we had three awesome folks, Peggy, Demetrius, and Nina in the YouTube live chat also weighing in. So before I let you guys go, there's something going on tonight at 8, correct? Later on at 8 o'clock, I think there's like an hour, 15 minutes uh, that guy was shouting out earlier, Ken, Rob- Ken Johnson, is going to be leading the RJ League chat this week. We are talking about multi-generational trauma and violence. It is amazing. If you have nothing to do, even if you have something to do, get on Twitter. Join us. We will be chatting. Thank you, Sarah, Jennifer, right. Victor. Thank you oh. all so much. Oh, go ahead. The hashtag. The hashtag. RJ League chat. Yes. RJ League chat. Hashtag RJ Lee chat. Com- yes. Put that in your memory. There we go. That's very all. I'm important. Done. It's all going. Very, very important. Stockton. Stockton as well. Yes, Stockton as well. absolutely. Yep, all of those. <laughs> so, yeah, very important. <laughs> so, hashtag RJ Lee chat. Be sure to check that out, guys. So, uh, definitely wanted to uh, thank you all again. Thank you to everyone who participated with us tonight. So, join us back in 14 minutes where we're going to have a special episode with Passascope EDU year two looking back on everything that went down in uh, the second year of Passascope EDU. So tune in, same bad time, same bad channel, podcast with an s.edumatch.org forward slash trade talk. So everybody have a wonderful, wonderful uh, rest of your evening. Good night. Good night. Good night. Good night. Match. Don't miss Edge Match.